let's prepare our hearts. And the best way as your pastor that I can do that is for us to study together and listen, rediscover the Jesus of Christmas. Amen? Now, I'm not going to stand up here and say, don't do this and don't do that and don't involve this in your Christmas. Go put your Christmas trees up. Put the lights on the house. Go bake your cookies and make sure you bring some for next week for the cookies. (laughs) Buy the gifts, wrap the gifts, sing the songs, go enjoy all the traditions. But please, let's blow the fog away. And let's see Jesus for who he really is. And let's see Christmas for what it really is. Amen? Amen. Do I have your, your, your heart here? Do I have your agreement? Okay, good. Good. So, we're basing the series on the song, What Child Is This? Let me read the lyrics to you. I'm not going to go through the whole thing because there's a lot of different stanzas and stuff. What child is this who laid to rest on Mary's lap is sleeping? Whom angels greet with anthems sweet. Now, an anthem is a song. Okay, there's a lot of old English language in this Christmas uh, carol. Whom angels greet with anthems sweet while shepherds watch are keeping. Not, not this watch. Uh, watch over the flock. Okay. The answer comes. This, this is Christ the King. Whom shepherds guard and angels sing. Haste, haste to bring him loud. Now, don't get messed up with that word. That's the old English word for praise, Lord. It's like when we, what do we do when we do this? What are we doing? Up what? Lord, okay. Uh, Haste, haste to bring him praise, the babe, the son of Mary. Now, I feel impressed to go back to something that I talked about last night in the Saturday night service. For those of you who don't know, we do have a Saturday night service at 6 o'clock. If it's more convenient for you to come to that or if you ever have something to go to on a Saturday, you don't have to miss church. Come 6 o'clock Saturday night. That first part of the second, well, the second part of the song, the first verse, this, this is Christ the King. More accurately, it should say, this, this is Messiah the King or Messiah Melech in Hebrew. Do not forget that this Messiah is the Jewish Messiah. Do not forget that he is the king of Israel. He is a descendant of King David. And there is a throne that someday, physical throne here on this earth, that he someday will sit upon. Do not forget that. Because in our Western culture, we have very, very seriously diminished and de... And I know in in biblical terms, this is not a great word, but we have de-Judaized our Messiah. I told this story last night many years ago. Some of you know that my wife and I used to be in the food business for many years, too many years. <laughs> I left my hair in the food business. <laughs> Anybody who's ever worked in a restaurant business knows exactly what I'm talking about. Okay, so uh, at one point, um, we had a business here in town, uh, a delicatessen, an Italian you know, specialty shop. And uh, somebody in my family, I don't remember who it was, I think it might have been my brother, had given me for one year, either for Christmas or, no, when, when, when he got married, I was the uh, best man at his wedding. He gave me a Star of David, solid gold Star of David with a cross inside of it, okay? And I love to wear that. And so I was at, at work at my business one day, and I, I had, you know, the typical shirt open up to here. <laughs> All the Italian guys went. 
You know what I'm talking about? So, and you can see this. And so this husband and wife walks in. And I, I don't want to say he's like, whatever, okay. So he walks up to the counter, and I come up to the counter. Can, can I help him? And very diplomatically, with dignity, says to me, what are you, a Jew? <laughs> and I went, oh, my God. I said, no, uh, I am a Christian. I said, but you know that Jesus is a Jew. No, he's not. <laughs> Jesus is Catholic. <laughs> and I went, and his wife is behind him going, oh, my God. <laughs> but listen, most of us would not do that, but most of us subconsciously think that. Because we are, Christianity has become so westernized and so far removed from its roots that it's almost like there's two different gods. Are you listening? He is the Messiah of Israel. He is coming back as the Messiah of Israel. Paul says it's only by the grace of God that we got grafted into this vine, and Jesus always refers to the nation of Israel as the vine. We got grafted in. In other words, if you don't know what grafting is, uh, you can go to a vineyard in California or any place, and the way they produce great hybrids is they will take a vine that's not producing such great stuff and take a cutting of a vine from one that's much more superior, slit that vine, the one that's inferior, insert the um, superior, and it will start to produce better grapes. Well, Paul uses that illustration. We, the Gentile world, well, let me put it this way. We're not really Gentiles, because Gentiles means without God. We're not without God. We are the non-Jewish part of the kingdom of God, okay? Um, we got in because of the mercy of God and the grace of God. But it's still their Messiah. You don't seem too keen on that. Now, be careful how you handle this topic. Because I don't want to go off in a different direction here. Okay, he is the Messiah, the King. He is the Son of David. He will occupy that throne in Jerusalem someday. And whether you like a Jew or don't like a Jew, you're still going to have to go and submit to a Jewish Messiah one day. Are you listening to me? You cannot listen to me. This is where the West has gotten off. Our Christmas has gotten polluted because we got away from the original and substituted something completely different and made Christmas very European. And then when it came to this country, westernized, um, it's not about the little guy with the red suit. I'm not going to go any further. I was told last night that I destroyed Christmas for a little boy in the back of the room. I'm not going to go any further. I see too many little boys in the room. <laughs> go celebrate the traditions. Go do all that stuff that you do. But don't forget what this is really about. And I'm telling you, I know I took a lot of time here, but I wanted to set this up because this really is the introduction into this series. But let me just tell you this, okay? By the end of today, I pray that you have a completely different perspective of Christmas than what you came in with. I had somebody in the lobby that came here for the first time today, grabbed me after the service, nine o'clock service, said, I'll never see Christmas again the same. I have a completely different perspective of what Christmas is all about. See, if you come from the same background I came from, Catholic, okay? 
we're stuck on the baby in the manger. You're going to put your nativity set up. Now, we never did this because to me it didn't make any sense. You're going to put your nativity set up and you're going to hide the little baby Jesus until Christmas Eve. Uh, can I just, spoiler alert, he's not a baby anymore. And I, said, I say this almost every year. How awkward and how weird would it be that when we come over to your house to celebrate your birthday, we insist that you put a diaper on? You do that, I'm not coming. Or we put all your baby pictures out. You grew up, did you not? When you celebrate your birthday, do you celebrate the baby or do you celebrate who you are now? Stop praying the little baby Jesus prayers. Oh, baby Jesus, if you could just... No, he's not a baby anymore. My mother, to the day she died, still called me Joey. Mom, 60-something years old. The Joey can go out the window. Okay, I'm not a little kid anymore. Well, you're my little kid. You can't do that when it comes to Jesus, okay? Turn to somebody and say, he's not a baby anymore. Okay, so what are we going to do? How are we going to accomplish this? How are we going to accomplish this goal? We're going to go to the Bible. And we're going to see in the Bible that Jesus is precisely who he said he is. He's fully God, fully man. He's the son of God, the second person of the Trinity. Amen? You remember the Trinity? How many remember the Trinity? God the Father, God the God the Holy Spirit. Amen? But when I got saved, it was Holy Ghost. And now he changed his name to Holy Spirit. And we know that Jesus was crucified. He did raise from the dead so that he could save all of us who put our trust in him. And he's willing to save anybody who will put their trust in him. And when we say that, that Jesus Christ, and we use that term, Christ is not the last name. You went to Jesus' house on his mailbox, it didn't say Christ. Christ is a title, Mashiach, Messiah, or we would say it in English translation, anointed one. He's the one who's empowered by God, by the Holy Spirit, to bring us back into a relationship with the Father again. He's the fulfillment of the Old Testament prophecies. And listen, next weekend, please promise me that you'll be here. Because you see, I already started putting the message together for next weekend. I got something I'm going to share next weekend. And man, I hope it hits you the way it hit me. There is something that I discovered just yesterday when I was starting to put the message together for next weekend. Uh, I, I found a connection that I've been looking for for decades. I'll share it with you next week. You promise me you're going to act surprised? <laughs> I, I had to make a promise to myself, and I even held myself accountable to Pastor Jerry that I would not, because I shared it with him, and he's like, oh, my God. I said, I know. How am I going to keep from not talking about this this weekend. So I'm not. I promise you that. Because it really goes with next weekend's message. But we're going to talk about the Old Testament fulfillment. Again, listen, in our westernized thinking of Jesus, most of us subconsciously think, all right, we showed up in Bethlehem. That was the beginning of Jesus. <laughs> no. No. In fact, the very first reference towards the Messiah about the Messiah, regarding the Messiah, is in Genesis chapter 3. Very first mention of the Messiah. Are you listening to me? We're gonna, I don't want to get into it, because I can see you're, you're like pulling, and you're not going to do that to me. I'm not going with it. It's going to be next week. All right? Just wait. But listen to me. You can, be, you can rest assured, Jesus 
is God, was God, always will be God. He's eternal. And in the Old Testament, we, you see him from Genesis all the way through until we come into the New Testament. Well, really, New Testament doesn't start until Jesus dies on the cross. The Gospels are still really part of the Old Testament, okay? But he's all throughout the scriptures, and we're going to see some of that next week. And we're, we're going to see a link, and I'm going to share some with you. You're going to go, oh, my God. Practice. Go ahead. Now, I'm really taking a chance here because have you ever had something happen where you find something in the Word and you're all excited and you go bring it to somebody and you go, oh, I saw that years ago. Please don't do that to me. Please don't do that to me. Really act surprised next week, okay? So again, we're talking about, we're going to talk about all his prophecies, all the prophecies that he fulfilled. And we're going to do our best to answer that question. What child is this? And I'll tell you this up front. He's the long-awaited Messiah of Israel, the Savior of the world. And through the Bible, we learn about Jesus' deep love for mankind. And so great has that love been and continues to be that he sacrificed his own life so that you and I could be saved from an eternity of suffering. Let's go to the probably most known scripture in the Gospels. John 3, 16. Don't sit there and go, oh, God, I heard this scripture so many times. You want to repeat it with me? Come on, let's say it together. Ready? One, two, three. For God so loved the world that he gave his only son so that everyone who believes in him will not perish but have eternal life. And, and most of us stop there. Do you know that there's a verse 17? Isn't that amazing? That between verse 16 and 18, there would be a 17. Listen to what 17 says. For God did not send the Son into the world to judge the world, but so that the world might be saved through who? Him. That's what we're celebrating. That's what we're celebrating. Christmas is not so much about celebrating the baby that's in a manger, but the man who grew up and revealed God the Father through his own life here on earth. I want us to focus on another scripture in the New Testament, the book of Hebrews. Hebrews chapter 12, verse 2. I'm going to read to you from the New American Standard Bible. Looking only at Jesus, the originator and perfecter of the faith, and look at this next phrase, because that's going to be very important from here on. Who for the joy set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. What are we celebrating? We're celebrating our Savior who came into this world knowing, knowing that ultimately he was going to have to get on that cross. Knowing that ultimately he was going to have to endure not only just the physical, horrible, excruciating pain, but he was also going to have to endure the shame. Now, let me follow my notes. Because I can, I can really run with this. But let me follow my notes. Who for the joy set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and has sat down, here's the important part, has sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. Now, what child is this, the song asks? He's love personified. He is love. Amen. Everything about him is love. Amen. He's a manifestation of the love of the Father towards us. Love has to be expressed. 
You can't tell somebody you love them and you never do anything for them. You can't, you can't do that. Um, there's a book that's out that we recommend many times in, in premarital counseling, and it's called The F- Five Love Languages. Uh, who wrote that? Who is it? Gary Chapman. If you haven't read that book, go read it. And he breaks, breaks all of human nature down into five, five types of expressions, uh, love languages, the things that express love. For some people, it's touch. Most of the guys, it's touch. Guys are mostly nine times out of ten. It's touch. What's your love language? Oh, touch, definitely touch. <laughs> some women, it's, uh, you know, gifts and things of that nature, uh, uh, words of affirmation, uh, acts of service. There's all kinds of well, you, Jesus is, is in all of those things. He's all five love languages wrapped up. He is the personification of love. But love has to be demonstrated. You can't just say. In fact, I don't think there's one place in all of the Gospels where Jesus ever said, I love you. But he showed us. I'd rather have it that way than for somebody to say, I love you, I love you, I love you, and there's no action behind it. You understand what I'm saying? He is the personification of love. And it was that perfect love that God had for mankind caused Jesus to endure the most horrible death on the cross. You see, where it says there, um, he despised the shame, that part used to stumble me a little bit. Like, what is that, what is that, how does that fit in there? Well, when I came to realize many years ago that according to Roman society, only the most degenerate, most low-life criminals were crucified. That, that tells me that Jesus chose the most horrible death, the one that would mark him in his society of that day as a complete degenerate low-life. And that's the death that he chose to shed his blood on this earth. He could have he died any other way. The important thing was that that vessel of his body that contained that pure, spotless blood had to be broken open and poured out on this earth. And to prove how much he loves us, he chose the most horrible, demeaning, shameful. In fact, in Roman society, it was considered horribly crude to even mention crucifixion in public or in, in company, in social, social company. And he chose that kind of death to make his blood available to be spilled on this earth so that you and I could get set free and be brought back into relationship with him. And remember that he did that for us. I want to concentrate on Hebrews chapter 12 here. And I want to read you an excerpt from a Bible teacher. His name is Rick Ranner. If you don't know who he is, go look him up on YouTube. His teachings are absolutely amazing. Probably the Bible scholar on the earth right now. Hebrews chapter 12, this is what Rick Renner had to say about Hebrews 12, verse 2. This verse says Jesus focused on the joy that was set before him as he endured the cross. Just like a runner focuses on the finish line, like a builder forges ahead to view the completed project, and an author anticipates the last written page of a book, Jesus was looking forward to the joy of finishing. He goes on to say, I'm sure that as Jesus hung on the cross, he looked out across the eons of time and saw the faces of people who would be saved because of what he was doing. He saw you, he saw me. 
But what else did he see that motivated him to stay faithful to the end? The word joy in Greek has a definite article, which means this wasn't just joy in general, but it was a specific joy. I'll add this. In other words, it wasn't a general happiness for all of mankind. It was a specific joy attached to a specific event, or we could put it this way, a specific accomplishment. Okay? Stick with me. This will clear up. What was it? What was that thing? What was that joy? What was that specific joy attached to? The verse goes on to describe that joyous finish line that Jesus set his face like flint toward. Who for the joy, goes, goes again, quotes Hebrews 12 too, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and here it is, here it is, listen, and is set down at the right hand of the throne of God. The joy is not only seeing you and seeing me, that someday in the future, his future, from the event at the cross, that he would see that you would make that choice for him and that I would make that choice for him. That brought him joy. But in the original language, the joy is connected to that place seated at the right hand of God the Father. Let's talk about that. Jesus had his eyes fixed, the eyes of faith, fixed on the empty throne at the right hand of the Father that was reserved for him once his victory was complete. I want to read that again. Jesus had his eyes of faith fixed on that empty throne at the right hand of the Father that was reserved for him once his victory was complete. Now watch this now. Upon that throne, all enemies would be his footstool. You catching this? Watch. And he would commence the next part of his high priestly ministry to intercede for everyone who would ever come to him in time of need. You get that last phrase? In time of need. Does that sound familiar? In time of need. Okay? This is Hebrews chapter 12. I want to go back to Hebrews chapter 4 to pick up on that thought. Hebrews chapter 4 verse 16 says this. Therefore, let's approach the throne of Okay, a few of you got it. Let's start again. Therefore, let's approach the throne of grace. grace. What kind of throne is it? And how we approach it? With confidence. So that we may what? Receive mercy and find grace to help at the time of our need. Who's on that throne? Now Jesus is. But the joy, the motivation, the incentive for him to go through the cross, endure all that horrible pain, horrible shame, Mark is a degenerate. The incentive was that empty throne. Why? Why? Let's go on. Jesus had his eyes, his heart, his mind, his whole being fixed on that highly exalted place. That was the joy that was set before him. When sin and hell were defeated and Jesus was resurrected, that was the seat of authority he ascended into heaven to occupy. That's the place he took. When he ascended into heaven, when he left this earth the last time, he sat, he got to heaven, sat on that throne, and everything shifted. That's the throne that he's, he occupies right now in heaven. And ever since that time, from that highly exalted position, Jesus has been serving as Lord of the church and as the high priest and intercessor for every believer. Jesus accomplished the first part of his mission, to come here, 
Revealed the Father to people who had forgotten him. Show the nature of the Father. Get up on that cross. Sacrifice himself. Allow his blood to be shed because according to Leviticus, without the shedding of blood, there could be no remission of sin. Blood had to be shed. Somehow or another, blood had to be shed. He did that. Goes into Hades, to hell. Suffers there. Three days later, the power of the Holy Spirit comes upon that body. His spirit comes back out from under the, under the ground and just, whew, and raises to life, proving who he was. Spends the next 40 days on earth with his disciples, empowering them, launches the church, and then ascends into heaven and gets back on that throne that he had in eternity. Now, let me ask you this question. Why was the throne so important to Jesus? Was it because he wanted fame? No. He never wanted fame when he was here on earth in person. Was it because he wanted to lord it over all mankind? I am the king and you have to listen to me? No, that's not his nature. The reason he wanted that throne, the reason why his eyes were on that throne, the reason why it was the joy of him sitting on that throne that caused him to go through all that suffering is because it's from that throne that we, in him, operate in the fullness of the authority that he purchased for us at the cross. So what does that mean? Let me explain it to you. I thank God and I thank Jesus for going to the cross because on the cross he purchased our salvation. Yes or no? So as far as we're concerned, because Jesus is on the cross, we put our faith in him, we're going to heaven. But let me ask this question. Did you go to heaven right after you prayed and accepted Jesus Christ as Lord? No, you're still here, right? So what happens to us between the time that I said, Jesus, come into my heart, be my Lord, my Savior, and the time that I take my last breath? I got to live on this cursed planet. We got to live on this dump. We're behind enemy lines. We have a devil to contend with and all the evil spirits and all the sickness and disease that came upon this planet because of the curse, because of sin. We live with constant adversity, constant opposition. What happens to us? Yeah, we're going to heaven. We're going to heaven. Whoop-de-doo. But what if I don't go to heaven for another 70 years? What, am I here by myself? No. What did he do? I, he, this is Jesus. I got to get to that throne. Because every person that puts their trust in me, now we are referred to as in Christ. Don't, don't skip over those words when you read through the epistles in the New Testament. When you read through the letters in the New Testament, don't skip over those words, in him, with him, through him. Those are extremely important. They mean a lot to us. We are a relationship with God Almighty because we are in Christ, and Christ is a relationship with the Father. So if Christ is seated, according to Ephesians chapter 1 and chapter 2, if Christ is seated far above all principality, power, might, and dominion, then who's with him? Do you see why he had to get to that throne? Because without him getting to that throne, yes, he's purchased our salvation, but but we would have no authority on the earth. We would literally be left to the whims of the enemy. Do you know how horrible that's? Well, the world's going to find out what that's going to be like. Because very shortly, when the church is taken off this planet, all hell's going to break loose on this earth. And people will see what it's like to live on an earth without the influence of God. 
all hell. Just enemy free hand to do whatever he wants to do. Jesus knew, I'll endure the pain. I'll put up with the suffering because for their sake, I need to get on that throne because it's from that throne that they, the church, will have authority over the enemy of our souls. Church, listen to me. I'm going to wrap it up here. You and I have authority over the devil because Jesus suffered, died, went into hell, rose again from the dead, and climbed up on that throne. That's what we're celebrating at Christmas because it started. It started with that little baby in Bethlehem. Born who knows what day. Don't start, don't get involved in those controversies, okay? Every time in this year, you're going to get some characters going, wow, why should I celebrate? We don't even know what day it was. You know what I say to that person? You don't even know what day you were born on. How do you know you were born on the day they told you were born on? You weren't aware when they filled out the birth certificate. They could have put any date they wanted. How many times? You know, you don't see too much now, but years ago, it was very common for somebody just to pick a day. We don't know when you were born, just pick a day especially people that immigrated to this country and came from countries that didn't keep good records. Ah, I don't remember. It was sometime in the winter. Well, when was he born? I don't know. How old are they? I don't know how old they are. I think it was between this uh, harvest and another harvest or whatever. You see what I'm saying? But we, oh, no, well, Jesus, we don't know if he's, he probably wasn't born on December 25th. Maybe he was. But the fact is he was born. And it happened on a day. And so we choose to make that day December 25th. Praise God. Yeah. Amen? Amen? So avoid these godless controversies as we're told in the scriptures. Fairy tales and fables. Right. Let's stick with the facts. Jesus, the one who's always existed, the one who was there in the beginning with God and created all things. And the Bible tells us there's nothing that was created that was not created by him. And the Bible tells us that he holds the entire universe together by the word of his power. This mighty, mighty being came to this earth and was born as a baby. Why? Because a body had to be brought to this earth that had blood in it. And it couldn't be the blood descended from Adam. It had to be blood descended from God Almighty. Spotless, without sin, perfect, without blemish. Amen? If you're a Bible scholar, does that sound familiar? Yeah, the Passover lamb of Exodus had to be perfect, without blemish, no marks, no defects, nothing. Symbolic of this little lamb. We'll talk about that more next week. But there's a, there's a very important reason why Jesus had to be born in Bethlehem. There's a very important reason why the shepherds had to be the first ones to be told. We're going to find all that stuff out next week. And let me tell you something, Okay. Did you ever watch a movie? I'm almost done. You can start warming up. Did you ever watch a movie and you say to yourself, you know, they didn't need that language to make this point. They didn't need to have that X-rated scene to make the point. The story was spectacular enough. Listen, honey, okay, the story of Christmas in all its purity is spectacular enough. We don't need to add all these other embellishments and superstitions and traditions that have no place in the Christmas story. The story itself is spectacular enough. The key is this. You have to look at Christmas 
through the eyes of a Jewish person. You, if we would look at Christmas through the eyes of an individual and through a cultural mindset who has waited thousands of years for this person to come, Christmas would be completely different to us. We would be celebrating the fulfillment. He's here. He's finally arrived. He finally came. I pray that the Holy Spirit would impact our hearts that way. You listening to me? Now, I'm going to wrap it up with this. As I was studying again, as I go through my notes a couple times a week, yesterday, as I was studying again, something popped up on the inside. And I right away entered into the, to the, to the bottom of my notes. Here's a statement that popped up just like boom. He's worthy of our faith. Think about that. Because if you don't think about it, it's just going to go... He deserves our faith. So, well, why would you say that? Well, as I, the thought came up and I typed it, I started thinking about that. Oh, my God, this is so true. You see, if you go to buy a car, you go to buy a house, you go to buy an appliance, a person's going to stand there and blow the whole thing up for you, right? They're going to make it sound like the thing dances and sings and everything else. Right? In fact, that happened one time. We went to buy a Christmas tree one time. We were in Bible school in Oklahoma, and the guy was like, wanted $100 for a Christmas tree. I said to him, does it sing and dance for $100? How do you justify $100 for a Christmas tree? But listen to me. When that person who you've never met, all of a sudden they're going to sell you a house. That per- and I'm not coming against any real estate agents. Keep paying your tithes. I'm not coming against any, sa- any salespeople. What I'm saying is this. The person is expecting you to trust them, but you have no relationship with the person. And sometimes the person said, don't you trust me? I don't know you. I don't know who you are. How do I know if I can trust you? I love you. Love is commanded. Trust is earned. I'm going to say it again because you didn't catch it all. Love is, we're commanded to love. We're not commanded to trust. Trust is earned. Listen to me. Jesus has earned that trust. Everything the Bible said about him came to pass. Listen to me. Everything he said he was going to do, he did. He said that if you will declare with your mouth what you believe in your heart, that he is the son of God, that he's Lord, that he died, died for our sins and he rose again from the dead, he said you'll become a new creation. Guess what? When we did that, what happened? We became a new creation. He deserves our faith. He has earned our faith. We're not going out on a limb when we say, I put my trust in the Lord Jesus Christ. There's so much evidence there. Romans chapter 1 tells us we're not with, without excuse. Even nature itself tells us that there is a God, that we have a creator. So before we sing this song, for anyone that's in this room who has never yet had the opportunity to pray a very simple prayer, actually, it's not even a prayer. We say it, we call it a prayer of salvation. It's really not a prayer because we're not asking for anything. We're declaring what we believe. And you remember in the beginning, I think it was a service, that I said, we will decree a thing, and it will be established for us. Well, we're going to have the opportunity to decree right now. What does decree mean? To broadly and boldly announce. We're going to have the opportunity to boldly announce, I believe in Jesus Christ. You ready? Stand up. Here's our declaration of faith today. Now listen to me. To those who have never done this before from a heart of faith, 
get ready to experience the new birth. Because the Bible says that whoever calls on the name of the Lord shall be saved. Saved from what, Pastor? Saved from an eternity separated from God. Saved from an eternity of suffering. You ready? Let's make that declaration. Say this with me. Father, I believe with all my heart that Jesus is the Son of God. I believe that he came to this earth to die for my sins and that he rose again from the dead and that he's alive right now. He's seated right next to you. And he hears me praying. So Jesus, I declare my faith is in you. I trust you for my salvation. Be my Lord. Be my Savior. Thank you for making me a child of God. I believe this, and I declare it in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. This is a good thing. Now listen, those of you that prayed that prayer for the first time, there's two groups of people here right now. Well, actually, there's three of us. There's those of us who have been praying this prayer for a long time. It's already established in our lives. But then there's, there's number one, there's those who've never prayed this prayer before. If that's you, please, I have instructions for you. When we are done, and we're done play, singing this song, I want you to please come up here and tell the person, I prayed that prayer today for the first time. Second group of people are those who have said that prayer at some point in the past, and maybe you drifted away. It happens. It happens to all of us. Maybe you drifted away, and today you prayed that prayer as an act of recommitting your life to the Lord Jesus Christ. Promise me that you will not walk out these doors if you fall into one of those two categories without coming up here. Just tell the person, I prayed that prayer today for the first time, or I prayed that prayer to recommit my life to the Lord. We want to give you a Bible. We want to be here for you. We want to establish a connection with you. Why? This isn't the end of the journey. This is the beginning of the adventure. Amen? Amen. Praise God. God bless you. Let's sing this song. Do not dismiss yet. Let the worship team dismiss you. God bless you. Thank you.